I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This week, I want to talk about the uh, film, the four-part series, rather, uh, directed by Ava DuVernay, um, entitled When They See Us. Okay, so this week I'm just going to jump right into it. It's going to be a short intro, um, I think. Anyway, um, so last week or so, um, toward the end of last week, um, uh, Netflix dropped Ava DuVernay's When They See Us. And the the buildup to the uh, release was incredible. Um, And leading up, to the release, I told myself I wasn't going to watch the document. I wasn't going to watch this four-part series because I had seen the documentary, um, the Ken Burns, I believe it was Ken Burns documentary of the Central Park Five. Um, that uh, I don't know if it was released. It was originally released on Netflix, but um, I saw that documentary on Netflix. If you know anything about me, I'm a documentary buff, so I'm always watching Ken Burns documentaries or just documentaries in general that are done by uh, folks who know what they're doing. Anyway, so I had seen and heard from the Central Park Five um, in their own words after they were exonerated. Um, And the story itself, just looking at the videos, was uh, of their interrogation was heartbreaking enough that I just didn't think that I could get to I, I just didn't think I could get through the series I didn't think I could do that again um but I watched it anyway um over the weekend and I'm glad I did uh, well part way and I'll talk about I'll talk about <laughs> what I did watch um and what I, I I didn't I just couldn't watch um and I'm glad I did uh, the four-part series was great, um, but that's I expected that, and I knew, I knew it was going to be good because I had seen, um, I had seen some of uh, Ava DuVernay's serious work. I had seen Thirteen, um, and so I knew what she could do with something serious. And so I'm like, I hadn't really, I hadn't watched Queen, Queen Sugar um, before, though I read the book, um, and I hadn't. What other? Oh, I hadn't I hadn't watched Queen Sugar, but I had watched um, what was Shucks? What was the name of her film? Oh, Martin Luther King. Anyway, that one I had seen that Selma. I had seen Selma, and I appreciated that. So I knew that it was gonna be good. It's just I didn't think I was emotionally ready for it, and so I finally got up the courage to binge it, and I'm glad that I did because for a number of reasons I'll go into, but I'm glad that I did. Um, And I recognize that a lot of folks on my timeline, probably yours too, don't think they're ready for it either. Um, And to each their own, everyone deserves the right. Everyone deserves the right to, to watch this in their own time. But I do think we all should watch it. Um... I think we should watch this film. I think we should also watch that Kim, Ken Burns documentary because, because it's important. It's important. And I know that there's a, some backlash about also trauma, just exploiting the trauma of these folks. But the thing that everybody on my timeline who is uh, counter is, is sending a counter message to not watching it is that the Central Park Five were a part 
of uh, Ava DuVernay's series from start, this four-part series from start to finish. Um, and I, I'd also heard that one of the five actually reached out to her to tell the story. I don't know which one it was, but anyway, so just lead with that. And so watch it in your own time with that knowledge. The Ken Burns documentary, maybe you don't have to, but I, I just think it's good historical knowledge and they match. Um, but Ava, just the way she, her hand on this thing just made it so gripping and so real. And I, I hope she wins in everything that she does because everything that I've seen her do is has been phenomenal for different reasons. Um, and so anyway, um, so what I want to do is I want to talk about the series, uh, Ava's uh, four-part series, and then I want to talk about um, aspects of the uh, Ken Burns documentary. And I also want to talk about two actors specifically. All of the actors did a really wonderful job, but I want to talk about two actors um, who for different reasons stuck, stuck with me um, because of the people that they were playing and the stories. Okay. So yeah, first up is I'm going to talk just real briefly, um, about the, the series, the four part series itself. Okay, so let me just spend a moment to focus on the four part series and the documentary. Um, so just in a nutshell, the documentary explores not only the case itself, but the media, the media and public perception, politicians and their response to it. Uh, certainly the mayor of the city at the time, Ed Koch, um, and then the uh, district attorney, um, or not district, but the state's attorney or whatever, Rudy Giuliani, who had a political career, who, you know, who, you know, he was very loud and outspoken. Everybody knows also that our current president had a lot to say, um, spent a lot of money to say it, um, as well as just general people on the street and the feeling about generally how crime was in the, in the uh, late 80s. Um, and certainly the public pressure on the police to solve this crime. And then it goes right into, it shows every, as far as I know, every stitch of the uh, interrogate, the, the taped recordings of the interrogation of these young men, young boys, excuse me, boys. Um, and it also, hear, you hear from the, uh, the men themselves because this was released in, in 2012 after well after they'd been exonerated but so you hear from them as men um talking about their experience and you 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 know it ends and you're like i'm glad that you guys are free but this is messed up so so whereas whereas the documentary just focused on the whole the whole like ecosystem of things that was surrounding this case um and in that sit in the city of New York. Again, this is this is Central Park 5. Central Park is in New York. I, I know you know this, but I'm just kind of making sure that I'm covering my bases. Um, and then, so whereas the documentary focused on that, that whole, the, the whole world that was surrounding the case, um, the document, the, the four-part series, Ava's four-part series focuses exclusively on the boys, their families, and then the different stages in their life related to this trial. So um, episode one is 
the incident and arrest. Episode two is going to court. Episode three is sentence and and, and many of them being released. Um, Episode four is just life outside, life outside period and how they come back together. And then, you know, how, how they can, how they, how they deal um, and get released, you know, they're so part four, they're released and trying to pick up the pieces and then they're exonerated. And so, and at the end, I know you've seen by now on net, on, um, Twitter everywhere, that beautiful montage where you see the young actors as they were portraying these men, um, when they were, uh, uh interrogated and arrested for the crime. And then you, it, it cuts to them as men, the men that they are. So that's, I say both of them, for me, both of them were required. Again, I had seen the documentary first because it came out in 2012. Um, and I thought it was so mesmerizing because it talked about all of the things. It talked about the entire, the entire, not just the case, but it talked about everything leading up to the case itself. What I didn't quite grasp was how much of a villain um, the assistant district attorney was. Um, I didn't quite get grasp that in the documentary. And I don't know if that was because that's not what I was focusing on and it was there or uh, Ken Burns just didn't really focus on her, um, her at all. Um, she was certainly in there and they were certainly, I guess I got the sense that the police were definitely railroading these kids, but I didn't understand who was the, the main culprit in Ava's series. I understood it to be that one woman, uh, a particular assistant, uh, assistant district attorney, um, whose name I've forgotten, but the internet will tell you because they dragged her all weekend, um, because she is a, uh, novelist, several books, honey, um, doing very well, has been doing very well. Um, anyway, so, so yeah, so anyway, you'll find her name. Anyhow, um, so as a, a going even deeper, you hear about the lives of not only these young boys, but their parents and their guardians and caregivers. And I know it's this, the document, the, um, the series hits, I'm thinking it's hitting everybody in the same way. Um, because the care and the attention to detail that Ava shows in this uh, film, this series, really lets you feel to the best, in the best way that you could ever feel someone else's experience. She lets you feel it. The heartache, the, the pain, the fright, the terror, the shock, the just incredulousness of knowing that you didn't do anything. Your your kid, your son didn't do anything. I guess as a parent, I'm looking as a parent, even though I'm not one. I'm just looking at these parents feeling just knowing that their kid didn't do anything. Maybe they maybe they were out being wild, but they didn't. They know their kids that didn't didn't do anything, but feeling completely unprepared up against this machine that was hungry and ravenous and wanted to eat up somebody's life and your kid is in their grasp and and you can't do nothing about it. 
nothing about it. There was, I really love, let me just walk it through right quick. So you had Yusef, his mom, knew how to defend herself, but she's still completely vulnerable. Knowing her kid was good, knowing her kid, not, and, and, and I don't mean good like as if to say that because, uh, you know, uh, Corey Wise was skipping school that he deserved this and, and Yousef didn't. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this mom, you know, very strict, very strict mom, kid hadn't given her any trouble. And yet she, here she was completely powerless. She tried to use whatever leverage she could, but nevertheless against this big system but nevertheless she was still she was still just as powerless as the rest of the fa- just as powerless as the rest of the family members um you had uh you had Kevin's oh you had Kevin what is it Richardson shoot I'm about to start, I'm about to mess up these names I'm, I am about to mess up these names but I guess some of them stuck out to me and so Yusef stuck out to me Kevin um Kevin's Kevin stuck out to me because he was one of the youngest um and he was the one that got beat up <sighs> he got hit in the face by a police officer but they said that his wounds they convinced this poor child to say that his wounds came from the attack this child was forced to say not the truth that a police officer hit me with his helmet, head-butted me with his helmet, but that the woman who you told me that I violently assaulted gave me this bruise, big bruise on my face. Then you've got, you've got Corey Wise who literally went there to protect his friend to look after his friend Yusef who didn't know nothing about nothing wasn't even as as the I learned in the the four-part series that I didn't understand in the documentary wasn't even a a name that ever came up and all of these uh, kids that the police were trying to roll trying to squeeze for information that, that that wasn't there basically just given a list of kids that were out that night (laughs) And, and using that as a reason to criminalize them and, and pin this case on them, pin this violent act that happened, this egregious thing that happened to this woman, terrible thing that happened to this woman, pin it on these boys. Literally just there, and you saw, even in... I, here's the reason. Here's the reason why I'm glad that I saw the four-part series, even though I didn't, I didn't think I could handle it, because I saw the interrogation tapes, because of the the documentary, Ken Ken Burns documentary. But it really drove it home to see it acted out in film. I can't, it just, I saw a different dimension to it. I understood a little bit better, probably because Ava did a really good job of giving me some back story. Corey was on a date, left the date to go hang out with the fellas and was going to come back had nothing to do with anything. Oh my goodness. None of those boys had anything to do with anything. The only thing that they did have to do was be witness to somebody getting jumped in the park, which is terrible. 
that's terrible too. Let's not get it twisted. That was terrible. And that's what they should have been talking to the police about. So this, these kids were jumping. This group of roughnecks were jumping. Um, these poor people running through the park or, you know, cycling through the park. But anyway, but instead, you've got these kids who have been taught, you know, if the police stop you, just tell the truth. It's, you're better off just telling the truth because they're not after, you know, you, you can't nothing happen to you if you tell the truth. When you start lying, that's what you get in trouble. And so you see these kids in, well, you, so you get the sense, again, because these are police tapes, some, I'm quite sure some things are happening not on the tape. There are things happening when the tapes are off or there, there are things that happened that led up to them being put in that room. And Ava does a good job of using their, these uh, young, these grown men's accounts of what happened when they were younger. Corey bopped, Corey got beat up before he was put in that interrogation room. Because again, he was supposed to be the one that was the glue for the whole case. Um, little Kevin, again, Kevin got bopped when he was get, got picked up by police, bopped with a, with a helmet. Nobody asked him where he got that. Nobody, nobody asked him. No, nobody checked him out. Dude's face didn't, so dude's face didn't even look like he had scratch marks. It looks like he got punched in the face on one side. There were no scratches all over his face like there could have been if a person was, if he victimized a person the way he was alleged to have done. There were so many signs that these kids didn't have a doggone thing to do with it. Their clothes, they didn't even look disheveled. They looked disheveled, but they looked a little disheveled probably because they got roughed up, but they didn't look like they had just spent time committing the crime that they were accused of committing and subsequently um, subsequently uh, convicted of committing is my point. And I know I'm rambling at this point, but I guess what I'm saying is I'm glad that I saw the four-part series because it gave me more context. And it gave me more context because the men were a part of it. All, all the Central Park Five were, gave input, were on set, talking with the actors, talking with Ava, helping to kind of round out the situation and what happened, how they were feeling um, in that moment, what happened, what was told to them, how they, you know, you know, the the what they thought the stakes were at the time versus what, and, and then Ava comes around and says, well, this is what the stakes actually were. So again, if you don't see the documentary, you're not missing, you're not missing a ton because the only thing that you're missing is the societal context, the, the, the climate in the city. Um, which is not serving as justification. It's I don't I don't think it's justification. I think it's context. Uh, it's context for uh, the police system and and the, for the police and um, a prosecutor, assistant district attorney, um, to be overzealous and to act like monsters towards kids, boys. Anyhow, but nevertheless you still get that sense in her series in Ava DuVernay's series. Um, I just liked the knowledge of, I haven't seen it again. I haven't watched the documentary again. And I, I do want to do that, but watching the film brought back memories of watching the documentary, 
or watching the series rather. I keep saying film. It it felt like a film to me because I binged it. Um, The other part about this is that while I did binge the series, I didn't binge all four parts. As I said, the documentary was rough. It was pretty rough because it, it hit the nail on the head and talking about racism and talking about how these these boys were railroaded. And so it hit me really hard and I just didn't think I would be emotionally ready to watch the series. And when I was watching the series, I made a conscious effort that I was going to watch episode one, um, three and four because I didn't think I could handle the court. Uh, I didn't think I could handle seeing them in court. I I just didn't think I could get through it. Um, Because it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking in the documentary and I just didn't think I could get through it. And so I didn't watch episode two. I think I'll go back and watch episode two when I can just take a breath through this, maybe this weekend. Um, But it's like, I try, I, I did my best to try to avoid the courtroom scene as much of the courtroom scenes as possible. And then, um, I didn't really avoid it because in episode four, it just hit me right there with uh, Kev, uh, Kevin Corey Wise's uh, courtroom scene. And whew, boy, um, everybody understands right now that all of these boys had it hard for different reasons. For me, two of them really stuck out to me and it hurt really bad for me. And that was Kevin and Corey. Kevin, because he was the youngest, and I felt like, I thank God that he was in um, juvie because he was so young, but Corey hurt me so bad because he had just hit that age. He was young, but not young as the rest of the boys, so he went to the adult prison, and from there was brutalized more than once, and that hurt. I know that hurt him. I know that was a lot on him. But boy, oh boy. Actually, I'll tell you, I'll take that back. I'll take that back. Three of their stories hit me. Three of their stories hit me. So it was Kevin because he was so young. It was Corey because he was at that age where he was put in in with adults and not supported. And I mean, he did get some support while he was there, but it's just, oh, his, oh, his whole story and then his family story and all of that, that just hurt my feelings. And I just, ooh, he got it rough, man. But he stayed, what I liked about, what I, what I enjoyed hearing about his story is that he stayed true. He didn't, he didn't, after he was victimized in the police station and in the courts, once he was behind bars, he got, he, he turned into himself and he got stronger and stuck to his guns and started to defend himself, you know, not letting folks define who he was, not admitting to something that he didn't do, and arguably was the catalyst for all of this whole thing, Um, as you know, because he met the actual rapist, the actual uh, Central Park uh, jogger rapist. The guy didn't confess it to him. It's like Reyes something, Reyes. Um, The guy who actually did it. That I didn't. That that they were in the same prison together. That they had that they had interactions with each other twice. Tripped me out. Um, And that the guy subsequently 
uh, confessed. That was that was something else. Um, but yeah, so that was heartbreaking. But the other one that was real heartbreaking for me was Ramon. Ramon's story hurt too. He was young. He was in juvie. Mm-hmm. But his, uh, because who knows? Who knows if he would have gotten in trouble again? Do you know what I mean? Like who knows? Who knows what his life would have turned out to be? But it's because he was already incarcerated that they, when he was released, he had already had the stain on him that not only was he. Um, quote unquote, convicted criminal, not only was he a convicted criminal, but he was also a convicted criminal who was known to have done this, participated in this heinous crime, right? And so the odds were completely stacked against him. And so what do you do as, as someone who's got those tags on you when everybody's turns you down, when, when the world is looking like you, like you belong on the bottom of a gym shoe? Do you know what I mean? Um, and so I don't fault him for turning to a life of crime and then getting rearrested. I just, I, you, hate, I, you hate to see it. You hate to see it, but you understand. It's like in that instance, the, in his family life, like how was he supposed to be free? How? I'm sh- there's always a way forward, and I understand that, but I also understand his sense of hopelessness, complete sense of hopelessness. I get it. That situation that he was in, even when he got out, the whole family situation, the whole family dynamic. What do you expect from a person? He's already been beat down by the system and now he goes home. He's supported by his father, absolutely. But there's opposition in the home and he's a, it's a crowded home. And what do you expect? Like the odds just keep being stacked against him. And so that hurt me too, just because I was like, dag. And I remembered in that moment when I was looking there was a point where they're following Ramon and, you know, it's like he's trying, he's really hanging on to try to, to try to stay on the straight and narrow. And, you know, again, not that they weren't on the straight and narrow before they were being kids. You know, he acted like I, I remember that I think it was important. Um, I feel like it was important to the story that he gave them reassurance by telling them what pretrial was. Um Ramon, because Ramon was the one that was like, oh, it's nothing. This the the this little thing is just right before you get to the trial. It's just what you have to do before you get to the trial. Um, grand jury or whatever is the thing you have to do before you get to the trial. So it's no big deal. I've done that before. And I guess that's it's to say that he hadn't always been out of trouble. He had been in some trouble before. Um, but again, that didn't mean that he was going to lead a life of crime without without having been caught up in this whole thing but the fact remains that because he was all these strikes against him it just made it that much harder for him to kind of move on and then not truly having a big support system to keep him keep him strong just he went back he went back to prison and I'm glad that they put that in there because but for this whole Central Park thing, he might not have never gone. He might not have never been in a position to reoffend, quote unquote, even though he didn't offend the first time. Anyway, so so those all of their stories were heartbreaking. Three of them touched me because 
just because of the nature of it. One of them just was devastating um, in uh, Corey Wise is just because of everything that he went through, how he was brutalized behind bars, how long he was behind bars. Um, but yeah, I think Ava did such a good job. And I just think, I just, I just appreciate that she listened to these men's stories and incorporated that. And, and, and in, she just told their story the way that they wanted their story to be told. Um, and that she, I, what I'm hearing is that, um, at least Jerome Jarrell, no, Jarrell Jerome, who played Corey Wise, spent time with um, with Corey Wise himself. Um, and they even had a moment where he, where he played someone, where or the, he, he played out a scene and Corey came up to him and didn't really have any words, but just gave him a nod of, that's it. You did that. That's exactly what I was feeling in that moment. And I, I, I guess I don't even need to know what that moment was because there were so many times where I was just like, my goodness, the emotional range, the places that you had to go to, to that Jarrell Jerome probably needed to go in order to play Corey in some very hard moments. I don't know how he came back from that, but I'm glad that he did come back from those places because I'm pretty sure they were dark pretty sure they were lonely places um but just in general the acting all around was really really good you got Michael K. Williams in there you got Mr. Chocolate Drop himself who uh, the only reason why I know him is because he's on Gotham um playing dang I, I'm not gonna be any good for you right now but he the this, the guy who plays Yusef as an adult um He's on Gotham, and I just think he's beautiful. And so anyway, he, of course, veteran actor, what are you going to do? But then another reason why Kevin stuck out to me is because the actor that plays him, um, Khalil, Khalil Harris, Khalil, ooh, it's Khalil something. It's Khalil something. I'm going to remember it. I'm going to remember it. Um, But anyway, he's from Baltimore. He's a little boo-boo, he's a little boo-boo actor from Baltimore, Ew. So anyway, um, but then Jarrell, Jerome, he's from the Bronx and he's not, he, this, isn't, this isn't his first acting gig, but he did such an amazing, wonderful job. All of them did. But I just think it's so awesome that, you know, Khalil, um, Khalil Harris is his name did such a wonderful job being a new actor. And then Jarrell, Jerome, just, my goodness, it seems like he's been acting for a decade, but he's only 22 years old. What a performance. What an awesome performance. And the Michael K. Williams, that dynamic. Ooh, my goodness. Mm, mm -hmm. Anyway. All right, so that's enough about that. So I'm like I said, I'm glad I watched both of them. I'm glad I'm glad I ultimately watched the series because it gave more context to um, different context, or, or gave more context uh, to the boys' stories. Um, but nevertheless, I still appreciate having seen the documentary too because it kind of gives me both of those experiences give me a round picture of a lot of things, including just how how I've been taught as a child 
to treat the police how even as an adult that's been reinforced in me and how I need to reprogram myself and the people around me. And I'll talk about that in the next segment. Okay, so this whole series got me thinking. The series and then thinking about the the documentary itself got me thinking about how I grew up. As you may know, um, if you've listened to any episodes, I'm from Missouri. And Missouri has this highway. And actually, it's not just Missouri, but it's a highway. It's called Highway 70, and it stretches from all the way over here to Baltimore through all these other states, including Missouri. Um, in Missouri, it stretches from, from St. Louis, which is on the east side of the state, to through Kansas City, which is on the west side of the state. So it, it cuts right through Missouri, and then it cuts through Kansas, straight through Kansas, straight through Colorado, so on and so forth, all the way to California. And in Missouri... I can remember my um, my dad having a conversation with one of my brothers when he was driving age about this particular stretch of 70. And the stretch that he was cautioning my brother about was the stretch between Sedalia um, and Kansas City, which is maybe two hours from Sedalia is about two hours from uh, Kansas City. And anyway, he was cautioning him because what we knew at the time, what daddy knew at the time, and certainly what I came to realize when I went off to college was that over a decade, maybe two decades, black men were disproportionately pulled over and arrested on that highway. And uh, the police argued that 70 is a major thoroughfare, a lot of drug activity and, and things like that, human trafficking. But by and large, what daddy knew um, and what my uncle knew, which my uncle lived actually lived in Sedalia, um, what they knew, which is what all black people come to know, they, every, all black people come to know the real deal, um, which is you can tell me anything, but I know what I see. And what they saw was what was confirmed um, in a study, which I apologize, I don't have the information for the study, but if you Google, um, if you Google it, I'm quite sure you'll find it. It's a study on um, Highway 70 in Missouri and black, uh, black men um, being arrested disproportionately, or at the very least, a study about black men being arrested on Highway 70 in Missouri. Anyhow, what daddy was cautioning one of my brothers about was, you know, you're going to get pulled over. If you are at any point on this stretch of highway and he had he had reason to be on that stretch, you know, Missouri is um, I mean, it's one of those places where it's like, yeah, when you're in the city, it's walkable. But by and large, you're driving from one little township to the next. And certainly where we lived, we had moved out of Kansas City and we were in this little small town. I told you I grew up in a predominantly white town. Um, and so, you know, he would go see his little friends and in order to get to in neighboring towns and in order to do that, he'd have to sometimes get on 70. And so this was daddy's way of, of just letting him know, look, you gonna get pulled over. 
because of you, because you black, you gonna get pulled over. And so when you do, he, he goes through and he gives them this whole spiel about what you should do. Keep your hands visible, all that stuff. You know, that thing that every black kid has been told, especially black boy has been told, you know, this is how you're supposed to act when you get pulled over. And in doing that, what are, you know, what parents and caregivers and anybody who loves you is telling you is, you know, I'm most, mostly telling you this because this is me doing my part. Because now I'm going to feel better knowing that at least if you get pulled up, when you do get pulled over, when you do encounter the police, you gonna, there's a higher probability that won't nothing happen to you. But what we know is, what we've come to know in the last decade is you can act any old kind of way that you choose to act. You could be doing absolutely nothing and still be a victim at the hands of some power-hungry tyrant with a badge. Just cold hard facts. And, and the thing about it is, like... I'm thinking, I'm, I'm remembering how I grew up and I'm remembering that conversation, but I'm also remembering I was both told, you a little black girl, you can't do what your little white friends do, but also trust the police because they're going to protect you no matter what. They're going to they're be, be your protectors. They're going to have your back. And so I'm thinking about myself, I'm putting myself in the, in the, in the shoes of a 13, 14, 15-year-old, even 16-year-old kid. And I'm thinking, yep, this is, I'm, and now I get to put in action what my, what my daddy and what my mama told me, you know, I'm going to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Um, yes, sir. No, sir. I'm going to keep my hands visible. I'm not going to make no sudden, sudden moves. I'm going to answer all their questions, you know, and it's going to be good. I'm putting myself in the thir- you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds shoes. And I'm wondering, would I... Would I have been able to do anything differently than these boys would have done? Not having my parents around, being absolutely scared, already in some cases being brutalized by a police officer. Would I have had the courage to do anything differently? Would I have be- or, or would I have, like these boys, believed that they would have had my best interest at heart? Would I not have believed that they were going to lie to me? Again, my parents didn't teach me that cops... You need to be careful. You need to protect your own. You need to protect yourself. I was taught. I was taught by my school and kind of reinforced by my parents that the cops are your friends. And while I'm not necessarily of a mindset that we need to abolish the police, I do I do agree that we need to radically reform police departments across the country. Because the fact remains we got... We, Anyway, I I don't want to go on a long tangent because I know a lot of people don't agree with me. I think there's a place for police. I don't think it's a place for the police system as we know it right now. Um, And I don't, but I don't, uh, but I also admit that I don't have an answer for how to change all of that except to offer more training and better screening. I, I don't know what else is, I don't know what else there is. I know that there are. I know that there are people who have big hearts who want to keep people safe. But what ends up happening is, by and large, in order to keep people safe, somebody is treated like a criminal even when they're not. And I don't know how to fix that, but I know it needs to be fixed. And I know smarter, more intelligent people than myself need to be on the case, and I want to support them in any way possible. But the point is, I'm in Corey's shoes I'm in Kevin's shoes. I'm in Yusef's shoes. I'm in any of their shoes. I believe the police. 
because of the knowledge that I had at the time. I believe the police and I'm scared out of my mind. My parents aren't there. And even Yousef, who, like, we're in a better position now to educate our kids, right? Because what we recognize is there is no right way to behave. You just need to know your rights. You just need to know to add, you need to, you just need to know to demand for your lawyer if you're over 18 or to demand for your parents and a lawyer if you're under 18, right? Before you'll say a word, right? So that's kind of the move. Don't antagonate, don't antagonize, but at the end of the day, like, how do you know what is going to antagonize someone who's already on the edge and just won't, just wants to, to, can't wait for something to jump off? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the problem. Like, you see all these videos, uh, anyway, I'm going, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I guess what I'm saying is, I can't see myself responding any differently than these boys did because I was taught the same thing that the police are your friends. I was taught to trust the police. No matter what, I was taught to trust the police. I was not taught to be careful about the information you're sharing, even if you know you didn't do nothing. I wasn't taught to do that. I will teach my kids to do that. I will teach my nieces and nephews to do that. But I, I can't say that I would have done anything differently. And it's just like you, can't, you cannot blame these boys because they were boys. Literally in age, I'm not talking about gender. I'm talking about they were children. Treated like adults. Because that's how the system looked at them in a lot of ways. And, and the thing about it is, but for some of them actually being um, younger than 16, it's like it almost feels like the, the court system regrettably threw them in juvie. Do you know what I mean? Like regrettably, like if they could, they would have put them all in adult prison. And so I'm just like, I regret how I was taught to be kind of duplicitous in my thought that, you know, you have to act a certain way, even if somebody's smiling in your face, because you black and you can't get away with the same things that your little white friends get away with. But then also being told, trust the police. Like those are antithetical. If you are not able to get away with the same things that your little white friends get away with um, in everyday life, then that is also true with the police. It is until it's not true. And right now it's still true. We have too many examples online where you have somebody who, a, a white person just going off on a police officer and nothing happening. That police officer is showing great restraint. And then you have, uh, you have situations where, what was it in Louisiana? The man, the, the, the man was sitting with someone who was autistic and he was having a moment like he was just the, the, the man was frustrated and so his caregiver or at least the guy who was providing nursing services to him or assistance to him spelled everything out for the police officers had his hands up sat down laid down on the pavement and was still shot not shot dead I don't believe but shot nevertheless what do you do there is no right way to behave there isn't the only thing the only right way to behave is to not say anything until such time as you can be represented, represented by a, your parent and or your lawyer. If you're above 18, you're your lawyer. Somebody that has some legal knowledge that can help protect you because there's... You got to... It, it's where we are today. It's where we've always been, but we've got to do better in terms of protecting ourselves. And that includes teaching our kids to respond in that way. Unfortunately, 
And that's a lot of pressure for a kid to know. That's a lot of pressure on a kid. But you know what also is a lot of pressure on a kid? Them being convicted of a crime that they didn't commit. Because they're of a certain age going straight to adult prison. And being victimized over and over again. Like Corey Wise. That's worse than, than subjecting them to this new reality. Because the, the, the reality of it is... We can't trust everybody with a badge. We can't. And I know tons of police officers. I absolutely do. Can't trust everybody in a badge. It just is what it is right now. Until we make some real changes. Until we make some real reform. So, I guess in a nutshell, yeah, it's like... This whole series has kind of awakened me to do better about talking about interactions with the police with my the young people in my life. And then also doing what I can, especially keep continuing to push in the way that I can in the work that I'm doing to ensure that police officers, for as long as we still have the system and and how it is, at the very least, that there's better training and better screening to get these jerks and to, to just instill more power. How in the world is shooting first and op? Anyway, sorry, that's I'm on a tangent. My bad. Act like I didn't say that. Anyway, because um, we we're talking about Central Park Five and we we're talking about how they were done dirty. Um, and uh, by unscrupulous police officers and just a just a dog dirty uh, assistant DA. Ugh, who's now a novelist. Anyway, um, yeah. Ooh, anyway. So ultimately, I am so fortunate that I watched the series, even though I did not technically watch the series because I didn't watch episode two. I will go back and watch episode two, but nevertheless, the series is good um, and worth watching. Um, If for no other reason than the five were all up and through the making of this thing Um, and getting the context right, getting the emotion right, getting the story right. Um, for certain situations all up and through it. So if for no other reason, that's a good, that's a perfect reason why you should watch this um, series. And then also when you get a moment, go find the documentary and watch it too. It's literally called the Central Park Five. It's by um, Ken Burns. Um, watch it. It's, it's, I think it's good too. I think it provides good context too. Um, yeah, I think it's good, but ultimately I really am advocating for you watching the um the series also i am standing it uh here to advocate um for you to tell your kids and even yourself to when if you find yourself being detained by the police not to share not to say a word until you have a lawyer present um whether you think you did anything or not just let's just let's just keep it clean let's just keep it above board Um, mm -hmm, and that's how we're going to have to do that. All right. That is it for now. Thank you so, so much for listening. Uh, be sure to leave me a favorable, uh, comment on anchor.fm. You can click the link, uh, for the, the, uh, for the 
show page, the podcast page, and it'll go right to um, anchor.fm. You don't even have to log in. You can just leave me a message. There's a little button. All you have to do is click it and leave me a message there. Um, And while you're there, you can also donate um, to me, to this show. Um, Even 99 cents will be a helpful contribution. But like I always say, if that's not something that you're into, you can certainly just share an episode, an episode that you've think that someone will like share that with them um sharing the episodes is another way that you can uh, spread the word about this show um and you know get more ears listening to it okay also leave me a favorable rating if you please on spotify um i always forget this because it's a long list spotify pocket cast radio public um google of course apple um, all the places where you can listen to this thing. I don't think I'm on Stitcher just yet, but hopefully I'll get there soon. Um, but yeah, leave me a favorable rating. Cause again, that's another way. That's another way to get more people to, to, to listen to the show. Um, and also again, if you leave me a little message, especially if you leave me a message through anchor.fm, a voicemail through anchor.fm, um, yeah, if you have any insight on a show episode or if you've got, um, you know, anything you want to hear or a tip about, an infamous Baltimore story or anything like that. I'd love to hear that too. Okay. All right. That's it for now. Thank you so much for listening until next time.